As women, we have so much power, but how do we access it? This podcast explores how to harness the power of purpose so that together we can be a driving force for good. I'm your host, Joe Tropiano, and I'm excited to be with you today as we learn from women who have made the choice to embrace and unleash their power of purpose. I am Joe Tropiano, and we are so excited to launch our first podcast with the amazing Deidre Pujols. Deidre, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm glad we can have these kind of conversations, keeping the, the conversation alive, because there's so many other things going on in the world right now that it's, you know, can easily get swallowed up in the, the wilds of the rest of the world. But it's still important and actually with what's going on in Afghanistan right now, it plays a significant part in the kinds of decisions that are being made. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have this call with you. Yeah, thank you. No, that's absolutely right. It's been a devastating few weeks, especially with the news in Afghanistan and the mm-hmm. reports coming out of, of everything that's going on, especially with women and women's rights and children and freedom of religion, all of those different aspects that come into play with what's going on. So definitely our hearts and prayers are for sure being sent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously, of course, with that, there's lots of great organizations out there too that are doing some good work in Afghanistan. I think of IRC, International Rescue Committee. I have several good mm-hmm. friends that work there, Preemptive Love Coalition. So if you feel the urge to do something about it, there are some really great organizations that you can, and I'm telling this to people listening who might be listening in, not to you, Deidre, but no, it's okay. might be listening in that if you feel compelled or called to do something, there's some really great organizations out there that are doing some good work on the ground in, in Afghanistan and, and could use some financial support right now. So, but I want to get into it, Deidre. I would love for you to just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. I know you, you wear many, many hats, so... Talk about some of those hats. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks again for wanting to to talk about my story and our efforts in the different spaces that we feel influential. But so I am formerly Deidre Christine Corona. It was a very cool last name at one point (laughs) until it became the world's virus. (laughs) Funny story. I used to think my last name was so cool that I didn't change it for a year after I married Albert because and nobody could say his name. And then he started getting famous. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna change my name. I'm gonna get in on that. So (laughs) that's kind of a funny backstory that's true. So I'm a mom of five kids, you know, I started kind of young. So my oldest is 23. She'll be 24 this year. And she was born with Down syndrome. So that's been a big passion on her heart. And then I have AJ, who's 20. He's just a love of a guy, such a super person. I'm so proud of him. And he's a golfer, not a baseball player. He goes to Vanguard University out here in California, plays golf for their team, and he's doing great. So then I have my gymnast, who's 15 years old, Sophia. She's a love. I love um, of her. Yeah, so she's pretty powerful. She's I'd like to say I'd like to say she gets her skills from me, but I was never a gymnast. So. Yeah. Um, there's Ezra, who's 11, and Esther, who's eight, and they are my loves. And parenting's been fun spreading it out throughout all these years, just because I've become a different person and parent and they're, you know, just in a different atmosphere than we were in our early baseball days and things like that. So that's been fun. Albert and I have been together for 23 years, 23 and a half years. 
and married for 21 and a half of those. And it's been a long journey. In 2005, we started an organization called the Pujols Family Foundation, which supports individuals with Down syndrome and also impoverished communities in Dominican Republic, where Albert's from. And that's still rocking and rolling. We're doing amazing things through that organization. And then most recently, Open Gate International is an organization I started out here in California and several international sites just to try to help with job training and workforce reintegration for vulnerable populations, in particular trafficking survivors of different kinds. Yeah, I mean, living out here in Irvine right now, we, li- we have, Albert and I met in Kansas City when we were young. We quickly, when he made it to the big leagues, we moved to St. Louis. So we grew up kind of our adult life in St. Louis with the Cardinals and then came out here to play for Anaheim. And I remember because I grew up in Tennessee, so West Tennessee. And so we were, you know, obviously in West Tennessee, we were huge. Yeah. Actually, my ex-husband was a baseball coach. And so all of my college life and then post-college life, you know, huge, huge Albert Pujol fans. Yeah. Yeah. Tennessee, we have a lot of fans there. But yeah, the director of our foundation is actually from there as well. So lots of family from Tennessee. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we came out here to play for the Angels and opened up a chapter of Pujols Family Foundation out here. Mm. But before that, we moved to Kansas City, back to Kansas City just for a short stint because my daughter was doing gymnastics there. And I started traveling all over the world just trying to study and work on this human trafficking issue. Yeah. And my kids were kind of orphans. So I said, well, we need to get out there with dad. Mm-hmm. We moved out here to the house we own. And yeah, we've been living here permanently since 2017. And now we're at the tail end of our career. So with Albert being on the Dodgers, we kind of have to see what will happen next year. You know, he's mm-hmm. not very many away from 700 home runs, which is my personal goal for him. But <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've just been doing it. And um, all the kids are involved in different projects. And, and I have met some incredible people along the way. Yeah, I would love to know, you know, because a lot of times, and I've spent the last 15 years working in human rights, and the first five years was with International Justice Mission, which I know Strikeout with Slavery has done some work with IJM and their worldwide efforts for human trafficking. And I feel like so many people that I meet that become really passionate about the topic of human trafficking, it's because of a particular instant or something that happens or something that they come across to have their eyes or their mind open. Was there something particular for you that made you so passionate about this topic and wanting to take it on? In well, such a- for me, I, yeah, the, I mean, the best way to describe it is human trafficking wasn't really in my radar. I mean, my whole philanthropy had been like impoverished communities or Down syndrome. So right. for me, I felt like it was I kind of say there were like three pillars, like three things that kind of had simultaneously happened that were too significant to ignore. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the people showed up, like there were people I was meeting. I was like, this this Mm -hmm. is so interesting. And so I remember calling one of my good friends and telling her like, man, I think the Lord's like drawing my attention to human trafficking for some Mm -hmm. reason. And it would make sense because I'm such a justice passionate person. Same. And so really, I felt like the Lord was kind of opening some doors and showing me some things. And I didn't know anything about it. So I felt like I literally went from one week knowing nobody or anything about it to like, by one or two weeks later, I had a whole calendar lined up of meetings and things and all this, you know, just learning. 
And before I knew it, then I was on planes traveling around the world, linking up with organizations who had been working for years mm. on this issue. And so, I mean, that was really kind of how it started. And I just spent the most of 2016 just discovering and studying mm. all the different capacities of human trafficking. And then at the end of that, journey in 2016, I just sat down and was like, all right, what am I supposed to do about this? Because mm-hmm. I can't just not do anything after all that I've experienced and this, the wonderful work that these people are doing. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. I was helping with donations, writing checks and doing things that I felt like would help these organizations. But mm-hmm. for me, that wasn't enough. And so I just sat down and kind of like had this heart to heart with the Lord, like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Just the little old me with this worldwide you know, issue. It was global. Under $50 billion industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can feel and, overwhelming. But I'm such a one, I really just love the value of impacting one life. And so it didn't scare me. I just figured out how was I, you know, how was I going to do this? And so basically it was an opportunity to take my passions of culinary arts, my love mm-hmm. for entrepreneurial and business and marry the two and make it an opportunity that we were creating let me back up. When I did travel around and I was studying, one of the greatest missing components or gaps was significant job training and workforce reintegration. I mean, these organizations were doing a tremendous job rescuing and rehabilitating and housing and therapies and transformations and all this stuff, but they can't do it all. I mean, that's why it takes other individuals to partner with these groups. And this is one global across the board, I could see people needed help because philanthropists are not always the best business people if they don't have a business background. And so I just felt like it was an opportunity to walk alongside these hardworking organizations and partner with them in this way. So this is what we've done. We built a kitchen culinary program called Open Gate International. And Open Gate is actually an acronym that the Lord gave me, and it stands for who we served, which are the oppressed, powerless, endangered, neglected populations, and how we serve them through a global alternative of training and employment. And I'm not even bright enough to think of that on my own, so I know it had to be the Lord because that's such a long acronym. <laughs> Good, But it works, and it's what we do, and so it represents us well. So we have launched our program in 2017, January, in Costa Mesa out here. And at the same time, I had a couple other of these organic ideas going on, the the whole kitchen idea with a country called Moldova yes. and also India and Cambodia, kind of like those and then Mexico City. So I got really close to some of these organizations and was like, hey, how could we partner with this idea? Yeah. So it all started out very organically. And then the chef at the time and the executive director built some in, an incredible life skills program an incredible culinary program that complement each other. Mm. And we were going to start trying to impact the human trafficking community. But after we started networking out here, we realized, wow, like there's so many vulnerable populations and organizations that need assistance in this space. So Mm -hmm. that's when we opened our doors to all groups that needed this kind of help. Yeah, because ultimately it's just about empowering. When you're empowering anyone who has survived any kind of oppression, you're bringing all of those people up around around them. You know, I think mm-hmm. I really began to realize that prior to taking this job with International Sanctuary and Purpose Jewelry, I was working in criminal justice reform and going into the prisons and seeing, especially with women, how many victims of horrific abuse and how many human trafficking mm-hmm. victims are 
currently sitting in our prison system? And then where do they go once they get out? And how do they, like you said, how do they find work? How do they find jobs? How do they reintegrate into society? So it's incredible the work that you're doing and the ways that you're impacting communities like that, because I know that it's needed and there are huge gaps mm-hmm. there here in this country. And in, I mean, everywhere, you know? Yeah. So thank you. At the same time that Open Gate International started, I had to naturally ask, what should I be doing through baseball? Because that was our real public yeah. platform. Right. And that's when we started Strike Out Slavery. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about Strike Out Slavery and what sure. that's been over the years? And that has been such an amazing campaign. I had kind of shared with Albert, like, well, I, I shared with Albert over my travels and all these things I was learning. And he was learning with me because he didn't know anything. But of course, you know, he's playing ball for most of the year. So right. he wasn't traveling and seeing all these things. So one day i made him fly from LA to New York on an off day, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think in the same day. And we sat down with Major League Baseball and had a meeting. And at the time, I didn't realize that there was like also the union that represents the players who actually usually deal with these kinds of issues. Right. Like whatever the players are supporting or whatever. Yeah. And it was funny because when we went, it was just Albert and I. And they had never had a player just come and sit in their office and spew all this stuff all over their tables. And, of course, they saw my fire and my passion when I was telling them. But I was like, you guys, from what I'm hearing, it's already in your ballparks, like these kind of behaviors, all these different things are happening. And so they allowed me to come back with a handful of organization leaders and have a roundtable discussion. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. I brought guys from A21, IJM, Exodus Cry, Free International. I can't remember who else was there, but, you know, some really significant people who had been doing this forever, just trying to help Major League Baseball understand the capacities Mm-hmm. There were even lawyers in the room. It was bizarre. It was really interesting. But at the end of that meeting, I didn't feel like they got it yet. And so I said, you know what? Let's see if we can go back to the Angels and just see if we can maybe do some kind of an event at one stadium. And mm-hmm. it would be an event that would create education and some kind of a prevention type theme that we created this alliance of organizations that who were the experts and also the survivor leaders who were moving forward with their efforts to help people understand and learn about the issue. So we built this incredible alliance and we went before the angels. This is our third meeting now. Mm-hmm. And we had the DA's office there. I mean, law enforcement, we were just talking about the statistics and the dangers of this and thing. And mind you, I mean, in 2016, people still did not know about this issue, even in what was just happening right down the street in their ballparks, wherever. So we put together a campaign in eight weeks, thanks to Reveille. <laughs> they helped me put this campaign together in a very short time that we could pitch about what, how we're going to do this in a palatable way. Because most times people think human trafficking, like they envision whatever they see on movies or whatever. And yeah. So we had to kind of create a platform that would be more family friendly. And we created a family festival with DJs and balloons and face painting and giveaways and all the organizations were represented there. And we had a concert with Nick Jonas in addition to what we were doing, which ended up giving us like the biggest concert the angels had ever had at the time, 25,000 screaming little girls. (laughs) And, you know, we were able to perpetuate this message. So that was successful. So the next year we did two stadiums and the third year we did three stadiums. 
the year of COVID, I think we had like a mission of five stadiums. Mm-hmm. And then that totally didn't happen. So we had to shift and go on to kind of like a PSA radio spots. I have like some significant millions of dollars worth of donated advertisement space. So that Albert and I, we did some like commercial type spots mm-hmm. to still talk about advocating for strikeout slavery and the importance of people still educating themselves about the issue. So that's what we've done so far. And, you know, ultimately my goal was that Major League Baseball would see how critical it is that they get in on this topic mm-hmm. and hopefully do something like maybe one game every year would be like the National Human Trafficking Awareness Day mm-hmm. and every stadium does whatever and they wear colors and all kind of how they do with the other other issues. Yeah. So we're a little closer. We literally went from 2016 from them knowing nothing to just three years later donating half a million dollars to the cause. Now they have their own advisory board about human trafficking within Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball Union knows that trafficking is a part of their issue because of players from Latin America who are being trafficked. It's not something you hear a lot about, but it's happening. And so they're reaching out because of those issues to me, asking about the right way to approach you know, the things that are going on. So now they have player ambassadors like the Kershaws who play with the Dodgers are also huge human trafficking. I mean, human trafficking definitely since I stepped into it in 2016 has become way more on people's radars. People are getting very involved with different organizations wanting to do their, you know, whatever they can to help. Mm-hmm. But people have come to know about strikeout slavery globally because of the Alliance partners who are also global. So, I mean, when I tell you like the United Nations, the UN, I mean, multiple visits to the United Nations, multiple visits to the White House, the Vatican. I mean, when Mm -hmm. I was called to these places in the last several years to speak, I think it was because, well, the Vatican, for instance, was a really special invitation. But the reason that I had been invited was because there was this alliance of people, really Mm -hmm. wealthy people and influential people in a space trying to figure out how to use sports as an avenue to share the information. And they saw what I had done on strikeout slavery and had me come and speak on that behalf. So it's been amazing how people have called on me to do just different presentations and kind of try to help explain why it happened. But Reveille did an amazing job building that campaign for me. And I think people felt supported. That was what was most um, amazing about it is like, for the first time you had law enforcement, you had the DA's office, you had lawyers who are prosecuting attorneys who fight this crime. You had survivors, you had judges who are judging, you know, these cases when they go to court of human trafficking. You had, I mean, multiple local organizations from the different cities we visited. Plus we had our national alliance board. So it's this incredible network of people that all are in the same thing. And to me, that was like, that is how you make an impact. So that's what's so significant. So, I mean, we'll see if strikeout slavery moves forward in stadiums. I mean, the COVID has really kind of put a thorn in the side of strikeout slavery, but we do still try to talk about it and make sure people still know it's very, very important that they keep becoming educated about the issue. And it seems like even more so as, you know, we're so much more online and anybody can be anybody these days. And just the awareness of the potential for trafficking online and and all of that, I think it's super vital to continue to get these messages out. 
do you sometimes feel like it's this huge wall and you're like this little artist, like a, I get this vision of like this gigantic wall, rock wall, and you're like this little artist just chipping away, <laughs> you know, at it. And then eventually then comes another artist who's chipping away and then another and then another. And eventually we're going to hit that crack and it's going to fall, you know? Yeah. If you think about it, like slavery has been around since, you know, the old Testament, like thousands and thousands of years, it's been a part of our history. I mean, it's just the sin of man. Like it's just, it's our fall. The -hmm. fall of man is what creates a lot, you know, perpetuates sin. And so that's what we're born into. And if we don't get out of it by knowing who Christ is and becoming a member of the kingdom, you know, there aren't answers for you. There's, there are just ways to, I don't know, navigate around issues and things like that. But this is one of those situations where you've got this big God. It's not like anything's under the rug and he can't see something. So I think one of the things that has kept me inspired about the complexities and the mass problem that we have with human trafficking on a worldwide scale, what helps me not become overwhelmed and just go, oh, well, here's the check. I'll pray for you. See, you know, good luck (laughs) is the fact that one, I'm a one track person mind. Like I really just, I'm a one lost sheep minded person. I really focus on how the value of one life can impact. You don't know who you're impacting. You don't know who you're saving. You don't know. So that's, that's a really significant thing. But also the fact that there's tremendous blessing in the figuring it out. The people that I've met, the people that I've connected, relationships that have been built, complete kind of just divine meetings and appointments and the things that people, I believe that those are the the blessings that God sees along the way of helping people out of tragedy and introducing them to the love of Christ and to understanding why those bad things happen to good people. And, or one of the first lessons I feel like the Lord taught me was when I first started going out and you would hear people talk about the buyers of something like sex trafficking, or for instance, the individuals who are bringing people from other countries and then labor trafficking them. So I remember people would be so critical of the person who's doing the crime and don't get me wrong. I'm a justified mindless person, but those are lost, broken people too. So I, I remember thinking like, man, if you just get somebody who committed this crime and put them in prison with no rehabilitation, then you just have a lost, broken person in prison. And yeah. that is not a kingdom. The kingdom goal would be to get that person transformed, even if it's on the inside of prison. So I will say, like, I do know that prisons are for women and men, both trying to create those types of rehabilitative services, but we have a long way to go. But yeah. the idea that, like I was saying, I, I really, one of the things he taught me was being very careful about the judgment. So he mm. You know, for every time you judge, you're going to miss out on a blessing. That's what I heard in my heart. So when I meet individuals who have done harm to a child, or if I meet a child who's been the victim of somebody's, you know, horrible perversions, how do I not fall apart all over the place? I mean, you work for IJM. I've been with IJM in several different countries. I know there are tremendous stories as well, especially with the child labor trafficking and things. And a lot of people look at it and they just automatically judge it. And if you don't know what you're dealing with, with the root of everything is sin, then you're going to just fall apart or you're going to be like a very judgmental and critical and you don't have full capacity to assess what's really going on. Well, everybody's lost. That's what's going on. So what do you do? What's the tangibles? And for me, it's, you know, for the most part, I've been on the side of the survivors or the victims of people's crimes. 
but actually Open Gate International is just entering a season where we're actually going after people who have been incarcerated and imprisoned and all those things because they need redemption too. And they need to, those people, there's grace and mercy for them as well. Mm -hmm. And God is ultimately the judge. So, so we're commissioned to bring kingdom to earth. And that's what I try to do through Open Gate International and through Strikeout Slavery. Again, I'm a justice minded person. I had goals as a kid to go to Harvard Law School and be an attorney, but that didn't happen. And so I'm just friends with the best lawyers and attorneys and saved all my money. (laughs) But I'm just trying to like, people need to understand it's not a place for us to judge. It's a place for us to get in and be an impact and be influential in the spaces that we can, whether we're working with the victim or whether we're working with the perpetrator, because things like pornography and perversion that flood us on a daily basis through our social medias and TVs and different things are creating a lot of the monstrous things that we're seeing happen. So we don't talk about that often enough. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think it's so true. It's just having this viewpoint that if you believe in God, that there is a God that is bigger than all of this and trusting that he is ultimately the one in control and that we're called to show compassion and not that judgment, you know, and I think that that's so important for people to hear. I would love to ask you as our time is, is kind of coming to an end, what words of encouragement or words of action do you have for the people who are listening, who are going to turn in, they look to pursue lives of purpose. It's so clear that, you know, your life is so full of purpose. You're seeing needs and then you're making intentional decisions to address those needs. And I think some people can feel frozen, you know, they can feel overwhelmed or they can think, well, you know, I'm not married to an MLB baseball player or I'm not, I don't have this kind of personality or I don't have this kind of money or whatever. So I don't know what to do, but what words of encouragement would you have to, you know, those of us that are listening out there and going, what can I do? How would you mm-hmm. encourage them and encourage them to action? Everyone can do something. Yeah. Not one group, not one person, not one organization, not one ministry. Nobody's going to fix this problem. It's a human problem. So mm-hmm. humanity has to fix it. And that involves everyone. If you're not doing something, then you're just staying part of the problem. And that's the hard truth about it, you know, because if we pull layers back in our lives in every capacity, we'll find areas in our life, whether it's our clothing or our food or, you know, there's so many different areas there. You'll find some kind of avenue of trafficking in the thing. It's not just, and and a lot of times people are now really caught up in the sex trafficking because it's there's a, an attractive perversion to people. Even if you're not for that, it'll still attract your attention more than it would something else. There are like 27 different types of trafficking. So mm-hmm. I promise there's a place for everybody inside one of those mm-hmm. deals, whether it's volunteer, whether you have finances to help an organization, whether you have a skill, a talent, a connection. There's so many different avenues. If you have a gift, you know, to teach others or serve others. But one of the things I encourage people to do is uh, my easiest kind of like avenue is to help people go to strikeoutslavery.com and see one of the alliance partners because they're all doing work in different spaces. Any of them are happy. They do trainings, they teach, they invite you out on missions. They do all kinds of really amazing efforts in our, each of our communities, but we don't need to save the world. Start in your home, educating your kids. That's what you can do. A lot of people they'll tell me like, I don't know what to do. Like it, I'm in a white picket fence with two kids and a dog and I'm happy. It doesn't touch me, but it really does. Mm-hmm. So do you my, have a my, phone? It touches huh? you. Yeah. If you have a, a youth in your house and you have an electronic device, you're in the game. Yeah. So the idea is just to tell people 
first of all, just get informed, be able to educate your kids, you know, create small events that would help you find out more, make sure your schools are educated where your kids go, that teachers know what to look for, find resources and different services that are available for this kind of effort and see if there's a place for you there to help. There's way too many things available for people these days to be impactful in this issue. At the end of time, when I'm with people, I usually will always tell them, look, if human trafficking isn't on your radar, like it's okay. Something you could get in it if you wanted. There's always a place for you, but do something, do something for your community. That's the whole point of who we are is to come and serve in the capacity we can with our gifts and talents and our passions and fire, but everybody can do something, right? So that's kind of my my last few words to, of encouragement. I have one last question for you before we end. I would love to know how you would fill in this blank. Deidre blanks with purpose. What word would you choose to put in that blank that you think would best describe how you have chosen to live a life filled with purpose? So if you were to say, I Deidre blank with purpose, what word would you put there? Probably serve. Hmm. I serve with purpose. Just got chills. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, I would say love, but I think depending on what your def- each of the individuals who might watch this video's lo- idea of love is, that might not be. It serve is what it is because it goes beyond love. Sometimes I have to serve people I don't want to love, <laughs> but I have to anyway because it's my calling, you know. But when you serve them, love is a result of that. So my word would be serve. That's amazing. So Deidre Pujols serves with purpose. And on purpose. And on purpose. You know, on purpose. So, yeah. That's but great. I've enjoyed my time with you. Thank you so much. I love Thank that you're doing this. You. Thank you. Yeah, we're so excited. This is such an amazing way to launch the podcast. Thank you so much for meeting with us here. And just so you'll know, uh, we'll record this and we'll share it out for those of you that missed it live. And we'll be able to link to uh, Strike Out for Slavery, Open Gate International, any other, the Pujols Foundation, any other thing that you would like, we'll be able to get that information to all of our listeners. So um, well, that would be great. Well, I appreciate yeah. it. And I love your organization as well. It's one of my thank nearest. Yeah. Thank you so much. We're grateful for you. <laughs>